Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But he's our special guest, journalist, broadcaster, and screenwriter, Safraz Manzur. We live in a political world, wisdom is thrown in jail. It rots in a cell, misguided as hell, leaving no one to pick up the trail. Ah, political world. Why did you uh, choose that stuff to start our show? Um... Well, it came out in 1990, I think, 1989, 1990. I think it was 89. 89, yeah. And um, it was the first... I got into Dylan probably around about 86, 87, something like that. And I think this was the first decent album that he released <laughs> ah, yeah, around about that time. Because before yeah. that, he had some misguided adventures with the Grateful Dead and, <laughs> and various other things. And it's also it's one of those albums which I think really stands the test of time. Yeah. You know, in terms of if you listen to the words, because they are slightly more, you know, they're quite ambiguous, they're quite oblique, but they also sort of speak to the times that we live in. And it's one of the ones where I can return to that album repeatedly and it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm going back to some, you know, old times of the 60s or anything. It feels like a contemporary album and uh, I think it's just aged really well. I agree. Absolutely yeah, I agree. totally agree. I think back in the old days when I used to be on Twitter, I think I found something um, <laughs> on Oh Mercy that w- absolutely predicted Trump. It was just like, there's, there's like two lines in there. Man in a long black coat, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, the, and then just after that, the, I don't know if you know the, the liner notes to World Gone Wrong, but I found a little phrase in there where he said, technology is now available to wipe out truth. Wow. This was 1993. Yeah. You know, I read it just after Cambridge Analytica and everything. I was thinking, oh, God, that's on the money, you know. Wow. And also, I just think the production, because it has that sort of Daniel, Daniel Lanois mm. kind of, you know, production, it has that kind of slightly swampy, slightly darker mm. kind of take on things, which I yeah. don't know, it just feels, mm. feels right for now. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it was at the time, certainly... As you say, the 80s were a, were a mixed bag, and I think rock critics were looking to say he's back, yeah. weren't they? For, yeah. And they were able to do it with Oh Mercy. I remember reading Q magazine. And, and there was uh, Neil Young and Lou Reed also released albums in the same year that yes. were very well received. New York, it was like, wasn't it? Lou Reed's was oh, New yeah. York? Yes, yeah, and right. um, Freedom, Neil Young's. Yes. And they, were, they all yeah. came at the same time. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, these, uh, these old guys are, are getting it together. The, the 80s has been an unforgiving decade for many mm. of them, but now we're coming to the end and it's all going to be okay again. And the weird thing is about the old guys is that you look back and you think, he was still... Wasn't he still in his 40s? <laughs> yeah, he was 40, about the age that I am now. And you are about the same. Yeah, yeah late that's 40s. what's terrifying is when we sort of see him now as some sort of Methuselah-like style, yeah. you know, Abrahamic kind of prophet. And you think, my God, he was the same age as I am. I, I don't have any of this wisdom. <laughs> and also now that's the first half of his career. Yeah, oh, mercy. You know, we've now passed the point now where I think under the red sky is the is the middle point, which is nuts. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And you were saying you saw him in 1990, so that's immediately after Oh Mercy. Yeah, I mean, I re- I was in Manchester Uni, and I think he the last time he played before that was that in Earl's Court. Maybe he'd played. Yeah, um, I mean, I think he played some sort of stadiumish big biggish gigs. But then it was announced that he was going to play Hammersmith Apollo. Mm. It was Hammersmith at Odeon by them mm. at that time. Yeah, and I was at Uni. And I was like, okay, I've got to go to see this. And uh, and this was before uh, Ticketmaster and uh, and anything like that. So you kind of like just literally had to turn up. And so I took a train down from Manchester and um, literally slept outside overnight to buy tickets. Mm. And you know, it's like a thing about the camaraderie that you get when you meet these people who are other fans. And I remember there was this one guy, and he was Welsh, and he was queuing up near me. And uh, I started asking, you know, what he was doing. And he said, well, I was, I was in my car at home in Wales. 
And I heard that tickets went on, were going to go on sale. So here I am. So he'd literally just like left jumped his, in the car. Jumped in the car. I'm sure. I'm not sure his wife knew where he was because this is before mobile phones. And he was like, "That's it. I just drove through, and uh, I mean, here I am outside." And it was this sort of random collection of hardcore fans that were like, "We've got to be there." And I stayed up. I stayed up all night listening to listening to people singing and you know, all that stuff, and ended up getting. Um, tickets I think were pretty much front row or first three rows for for all the nights mm. I remember when I went to see him about three years later at the same venue there was a guy at the front with a hat yes and I, I remember think that he was, he was tip he called, his hat wouldn't he he was tip his hat was he called Lamb Chop have I made he that was. up he was called Lamb Chop I do and remember I, I, that because I, I know that's remember. a band isn't it Lamb yes, Chop yes no, <laughs> I remember or one of my memories is that I don't know if it was that guy somebody all they would do was just shout out Joanna Bob Joanna Honestly. and I was like if that guy had ever sung Visions of Johanna this guy would have exploded because yeah. it was all he ever wanted <laughs> and then he had a piano on stage and there was this sort of mission of everybody to just get Dylan to play the piano I mean no, no reason why I don't think he's that great a player but it was just no. the idea that he would be on the piano well they got what but they I wanted tell you what, eventually. it was such an electric atmosphere yeah. I genuinely don't think I've ever and I say this obviously as a big Springsteen fan I don't think I've ever felt a level of electricity in a room at Hammersmith Apollo in the minutes wow. before Dylan was going to go on stage. And that's, given how many times you've seen Bruce Springsteen, yeah, that's Yeah, because there is something, it was just, you just, because we hadn't seen him, and he is a mythological figure, and also he was really close, this wasn't some stadium, mm, you yeah. were feet away from Bob Dylan, and this was, you know, and then he had an, um, an acoustic interlude that he would do, where he'd do four or five songs, just acoustic, just him, yeah. Mr. Tambourine Man, Gates of Eden, that sort of thing. Mm. You just think, yeah, I'm in the presence of something historic, you know? Yeah, my friend Dave saw those shows, and I've, I've been jealous of him for 25 years. So, Sam, what would you say are the difference? Uh, you know, you have sort of slept with, um, uh, in the uh, more chaste sense of the word... Not in the both biblical Spring sense. No, more <laughs> with Springsteen and Dylan fans. You've, you've stayed overnight for both mm. of them. Mm. Uh, so what's the difference between the, the two fan bases? I think that Dylan fans are perhaps more forgiving in some ways because the thing about Dylan is forgiving that, of what sorry well nobody actually expects to see a great Dylan concert oh, right. <laughs> nobody's going to say do you know what he really knocked it out of the park in terms of his audience interaction there <laughs> No, they hang on to little things like he spoke to the audience. Yeah, yeah. He smiled. I feel sorry for the poor sods in his band. Has he, has he ever name-checked anybody in his band? He used to. He, doesn't he, used, to, he didn't he do it at the Palladium. Yes, no, he didn't use to go because I remember during the Born Again years, anyway, mm. you could see him because he, he sort of name-checks the uh, backing singers he slept with. Right. He, all <laughs> right. of them. But even in the, uh, in the early 2000s. And the mothers of his did. children, in other words. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. But no, he, I mean, exactly. You, hold, you learn to hold on to very, very small grains of comfort mm. that, you know, he's looking in your direction, mm. that sort of thing, you know. And if, you know, you know, I'm sure this has become a bit of a joke, but if you can recognise a song between in, in the first two minutes, you feel like you've done some sort of special connection with him, yeah. etc. Whereas I think Springsteen fans, they expect a lot more because, Dil because Springsteen delivers a bit more as a live thing. Um, but at the same time, there is only one Bob Dylan, and so there is something about that. So I think Dylan fans seem to be more completists in a way, that they will just turn mm. up regardless of anything. They'll just be there for that. Mm. Um, also, I mean... Is it controversial to say demographically they may more nudge towards the more mature? Because the thing about Springsteen is that he has got he has, he has found a younger fan base now. Mm -hmm. So there was a time when I was one of the youngest people amongst them, you know, in my twenties. Now there's a lot of people who are in their twenties who are going to see Springsteen. I don't know if I'm seeing when I see Dylan. I don't think I see that many younger people. Maybe there, I'm wrong. There are now. You, I mean, oh, I'm wrong. certainly the last few times I've been there, you, you sort of you see a number. I've seen a lot of teenage teenagers, usually boys. Okay. 
with their fathers with and indeed yep. grandfathers. But yeah. I, mean, I think you're probably generally right, but I think there are people who he is still being discovered by another generation. I mean, the thing is, I think there's a difference between that sort of slightly ritualized, lovely thing about parents taking their children to a gig, mm. as opposed to kids discovering it themselves and wanting yeah. to go. Yeah. Whereas I think with Springsteen, I'm seeing people in their 20s. I went to see him at Glastonbury, you know, in Springsteen, and there was a lot of people, obviously, Glastonbury age, you know, in their, in their mm. 20s were really getting into him. So I think those those sorts of differences are there. And obviously, there's a sort of a history there. You know, you'll have people turning up to, to see Dylan, who might have seen him at the Albert Hall back in the day, etc. Mm. So, so it, it, the, the, it goes back further sometimes the relationship. I suppose we might also be taking it for granted that these are two incredibly talented performers of <clears throat> you know, ve- you know differing, differing sort of uh, personas but they're, they're both alive and they're both performing and we have the chance to see them live um, yeah. you know yeah. and that, that is that is not going to be uh, around forever I mean David mm. Hepworth often says about Bruce Springsteen he says you know go and see him live yeah. because when he's not doing this anymore yeah. nobody else will be yeah. doing what he does yeah. no, and he's true. absolutely right because Bob Dylan can't put on a show like that and Bruce Springsteen is about the only one who can Yeah. Mm. but even so just to be able to say you've seen either of them Mm. In, in generations to come may, may have... I mean, who knows what it'll be. I mean, that's why I, I always have an argument with people who say, oh, you know, it's not worth seeing McCartney now or it's not mm. worth seeing... You think, there's only one person who wrote yesterday, yeah. you know. Once, know. He, once, once he's gone, that's it, you know. It's obviously, same with, same with Dylan. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, you know, this idea like, well, if I didn't see him in 1964, I'm not going to see him at all. I think that's a really, really mm. stupid argument, actually. It's like, really silly. It's really silly. When did you first come across... Bob, because I know about your yeah, it was actually sort of similarish time. It was sort of around about eighty seven, eighty eight, and it actually was because of Springsteen. So basically, I got into Springsteen, and then I started thinking, well, who are the people that Springsteen likes? Mm And so then I got into a little bit into Roy Orbison because you know he's because Springsteen said about Thunder Road. Do you know what he said about Thunder Road and uh, and and the album Born to Run? In fact, in Born to Run, he said he wanted it the album to sort of the production to be like Phil Spector, Mm. and he wanted to sound a bit like Roy Orbison, and he wanted the words to be a bit like Bob Dylan. You know that sort of world. And so I kind of got into him through him. So if it's good enough for Springsteen, (laughs) I got to find out who this guy is. You know, and so then. I started getting into the some of the albums, and um, what was quite interesting was that I got into the early ones, and there was no kind of. Um, it's one of the things that happens is when you've got a back catalogue like Dylan's, you can literally have infidels next to bringing it all back home. Yeah. You know, there's no sense they has to be linear yeah, in any yeah. way. Um, and then I just started ploughing through them pretty quickly, and uh, yeah, so it was it was quite fast because I think. You know, I was at that same kind of potent age of just wanting to absorb all this stuff. And so, yeah, so I just remember a lot of those albums. And uh, it was mostly through... So Springsteen opened the door to Dylan because he kind of authorised it. He kind of mandated it. He said, look, you know. And so I thought, well, if this guy's influenced Bruce, I've got to get into him. And then I got into him really, you know, I became a huge fan and I've seen him, you know, many times since. I just have a different relationship to the words and to the music that I do with with Springsteen, if you know mm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, as is detailed in your um, wonderful book, Greetings from Barry Park, you you fell in with, with with a friend in your teen years who introduced you to Bruce Springsteen. Did you have a anyone you could talk to about Bob Dylan? Was there anyone, or was it like a private uh, thing? It was more private in a way, but actually in the same weird thing, it was more private and it was actually more universal at the same time. As in, Dylan was more acceptable as a as a person to, to talk about and to get into, you know, yeah. it was like... In 1987, Springsteen really wasn't really that, you know, the kids weren't really listening to him, you know? Oh, um, I didn't realise there was a time when 
Oh yeah, oh, Tunnel of Love. It was a, it was an it was an well, album for grown-ups. Was, 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 was a relationship album. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I love Tunnel of Love. I loved it as well. We're all older men. I was I was I was a, I, was a uh, I was in the minority, and and also because you know obviously the American imagery of Born in the USA and stuff. You know, so the kids weren't really the cool kids weren't listening to, to Springsteen, yeah. but they were listening. I had friends who were listening to Dylan, and yeah, so we did. I would talk about it in that way, but I think he was somebody who. I think one thing about Dylan was that you could really get into him. You could read biographies of him mm. and you could like watch stuff about him. It was a whole kind of almost subculture you could get into, which was a really fascinating one because it obviously linked up mm. to the Beats and, you know, Ginsberg and all these people. And and so it was just this this other world. So if you're growing up in, you know, in a place like Luton or whatever, which is, you know, not particularly glamorous, you know, Dylan's like a portal into this amazing world. And as you just said, He's still around, yeah. you know. He's still he's like a he's he's a witness to that world as well as being a really key member of it. Yeah, and I mean, also around the late eighties, you've got the the Traveling Wilburys. You got Bob yeah. Dylan and Roy yeah. in the yeah. same band, yeah. and you got Bruce Springsteen's great cover of Chimes of Freedom, which I yeah. think I used the first time I heard that song. Tweet from the Monkey Man's a very interesting yes. song. Yes. You know, that yeah, basically sounds like a. They just wanted to sort of t- take the piss out of Bruce a little bit there. It didn't does, they? isn't it? And, and you ask uh, some of the interviews with some of the band members, and they say, like George Harrison said, oh yeah, him and Tom Petty were were doing this kind of Springsteen vibe. Yeah. I didn't really ask them too much about it, but it's more than a Springsteen vibe. It's a very very specific. Yeah, set I think of they basically went through. The great Springsteen songbook, yeah, and then just plundered as many of those song lyrics as they could. State Trooper and Jersey State Girl, and Johnny Ninety Nine, yeah. and all this, stuff. and they just like you know sort of cobbled it all together into a song. But it's got a, it's it's a great song, so I think it's a I'm, I'm sure it's a loving tribute. But mm. it's a, it's it's more than just a nod, isn't it? Well, it's yeah. it's a it Bob sings the the lead, doesn't he? So it's it's probably coming from Bob. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, which is an interesting. You know, idea. I mean, what do you make of their relationship? Because Bruce introduced him famously into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Well, he calls him the father of our nation. Mm. You know, Springsteen called him the father of our nation. And he, you know, he basically says in the way that Elvis, you know, opened opened the world of possibility, you know, Dylan opened the possibilities of the mind. This idea of expanding the idea of what music could do. And it not being just a kind of, you know, a visceral thing or or it could be an intellectual thing and it could be um, it could be something which could actually open up the possibilities in your mind as well. And I've been lucky enough to see um, Springsteen on stage where he's introduced Dylan because he in Shea Stadium, I think it was in 2003, was the last night of the the rising tour. And I was I was there and he came on Springsteen and he just said, you know, this is incredible honor for me to uh, to introduce Dylan and Dylan came on and he, they sang Highway 61 and obviously it was, a, it, was, it was an appalling version but that's not <laughs> that's neither here nor there um, but it was just the fact that you could just tell that Springsteen was just so awestruck that this hero of his and I remember him saying I just want to thank Bob for gracing my stage mm. and I think that's that's the kind of vibe, you know, like when you just sort of you're paying due respect to the people who made the world, who made the world that you currently live in. Yeah. And I think that's the sense that I get of, of their relationship, you know, that yeah. you can't quite believe. It must. It's a bit like actually when you see him on stage with the, with the Stones or with McCartney. You know, these are mm. the people who made his world mm. possible. And so I think that's that's yeah. that's the relationship in my sense. That I mean, do you think that their their actual work? Overlaps at all because I've been listening to a lot of Dylan and Springsteen this yeah. week, and I, I obviously he worships Dylan, yeah. But I, I and and some of his lyrics are very poetic, yeah. But I can't quite see where they might merge. No. You know, I, I mean that's via just... Woody Guthrie maybe in Nebraska, and mm. goes to yeah, with the Seeger and... sessions. I think yeah. sure, but but you know, what's the version of Nebraska for Dylan though? 
Well, <laughs> because I think what I always think is that Springsteen's yeah. Springsteen's songwriting is rooted in geography and intangibles, intangible yeah, characters, intangible. in jobs, in people who you can sort of imagine and visualize. Yeah. Mm. You know, well, that's what the songwriting is. I always thought that Bruce Springsteen circa Tom Joad should have done North Country Blues. That to me is exactly the same as like Youngstown and all those songs yes. on that album. It's yeah, all, yeah, it really yeah. fits. That's true. That is true. But, but so that didn't last for very long. Didn't no, last very and long. I suppose no. there are echoes of, say, for example, Lonesome, uh, the, 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 uh, Hattie Carroll, yeah. you know, yeah. that sort of thing with Tom Joad. You know, that sort of idea of the storytelling. Yeah. Songwriting as storytelling. Mm. But he's not... I mean, Hurricane, Hurricane, there was yeah. a bit of that, isn't yeah. there? The hurric- that sort of storytelling. But he hasn't done that for a long time, though, has he? Nope. No, and I, I, often, I was thinking, you know, I, I know lots of moments where Springsteen has covered Dylan, but I couldn't think of any that have happened the other way around. And then I started thinking, well, if it hasn't happened, what Bruce Springsteen songs would he do? But does, does Dylan co- do cover songs? Well, he, you know, he yeah, covered... Yeah, he's actually what, done quite a few, you know, especially when people die. Dylan covered about three Warren Zevon songs. Yeah, Warren okay. Zevon songs. Right. The, the, when he died. Yeah. Um, I, he's there's certainly done others where... He may have done Johnny Cash. Did he do Johnny Cash? Oh, he's Cash? done plenty of Johnny Cash. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, we, I don't want to wish death on either of them, but, but it's the sort of thing he might do. But, you know, what, what would he do? I mean, I'd love to hear Bob Dylan do The Ghost of Tom Joad. Or Apparently, Johnny there is a recording, which I've not heard, of him doing Dancing in the Dark. <laughs> oh, yes, I hear it's terrible. Yeah. That's right, it's supposed to be... I can't remember why he did it, but it, yeah. it was improvised. Exactly, or, oh yeah. It was just totally yeah. spontaneous. Yeah. I'd be lucky enough not to hear it. <laughs> I, yes. I'm intrigued. No, I've read about... It's supposed to be, like, the worst thing he's, <laughs> he's ever done. Wow, that would be interesting. Which is stretching things, really. yeah. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, so I'm, I'm interested when when you come to Bob as uh, as world's one of the world's biggest Springsteen yeah, fans. Yeah. Wh- which albums do you tend to go to, or which which would you place you know higher than others? Do you think? Well, I listen to in terms of the ones that I listen to. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. if I'm being honest, I love the early stuff. I love uh, Times Are Changing. I love Another Side. I love. Yeah, I mean, I love all of that stuff. And then I go straight forward. I actually think Infidels. I really mm-hmm. like Infidels. Mm-hmm. I like uh, Union Sundown and Joker Man. I know it's slightly overproduced, but I kind of like those mm-hmm. songs. Um, obviously, we just mentioned Oh Mercy. Um, I'm trying to think of any albums in the last few years that I've... I mean, um, Love and Theft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Time Out of Mind. Time Is Time Out of Mind the one that's got Not Dark Yet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's... That's pretty good stuff, mm. you know. So I would listen to some of them. I have to say, the things that I most listen to now actually tend to be often some episodes of the um, the, the bootleg series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some of those are absolutely awesome. You know, the disc, the side which has got um, uh, Blind Willie McTell, yeah. every series grain, of dreams, and, series of yeah, dreams yeah. every grain of mm-hmm. sand, yeah. that section. Mm. And then there's an earlier section, I think, which has got um, House Carpenter, maybe. Oh yes. You know, that section. That's a a phenomenal Phenomenal section. And it's like, you don't really... People don't really talk about those kind of songs, you know. Who killed... Davey Moore. Davey Davey Moore. Moore. You know, it's like the boxer, isn't it? Yeah, I remember when Princess Diana died, actually. I remember a reviewer in Time Out saying... Because I don't know if you remember when Princess Diana died, but there's the whole thing about 
whose fault was it? Yeah, was yeah, it, was sure. it the chauffeur? Was it the bodyguard? Yeah, was it yes, the press yes, that was yes. following her? Mm. And someone in Time Out said, we're basically living out who killed Davy Moore. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, wasn't me. Said <laughs> Slightly the, niche said reference, the press but who, it, it <laughs> well, yeah, people yeah, I thought they were talking. cool thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's a great song. And, and yes. House Carpenter is, is a reject from his first album yeah. that I think is better than anything else on it. Yeah, so I love the, so I love some of the bootleg series. I think mm. they, they've been a real godsend in terms of just like digging out you know, obviously the Albert Hall show. So I kind of go to those quite often as well. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think they're as good as any of his albums or better. Some yeah, of them. We, yeah. were, uh, we were saying uh, Telltale Signs Yeah, is just jam-packed with goodness. Do you know one song I absolutely love? Which, do you mean the, the Water is Wide? Oh, yeah. Is that yeah. with Joan Baez? Um, yes, it's, it's that's a, on the, um, it's the Rolling the, Thunder. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's an extraordinary song. I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like, it's, it's got gorgeous. a real kind of gospel feel to it. And it's just, those are the sorts of things I think, oh, you can, I could easily, you know, it's not hard work listening to those songs. I just really, really no, love them. No, she, she kind of, I, I think that's really an interesting uh, particular song because I feel that she makes Dylan sing better. Yeah, There's something, with at least in that one, he doesn't yeah. try to screw her around. No. He's actually singing with her and it's it's very very beautiful and so, we were, I think you were talking before about John Wesley Harding I love that album as yeah. well because there's something quite there's something about the austere production of albums like that and yeah. also you could argue Oh Mercy although it's slightly more produced we sort of hold up they, they sort of hold up don't they mm. they, they, yeah. they just they sound they sound fr- you listen to that and then you listen to some you know sort of Americana yeah. of now there's echoes, aren't yeah. they? They're not. They're yeah. not that different. If you listen. I think, oh, yeah. as, as a general rule, if you if you try and date your music, you know, very, make it very contemporary at the time, it's it's going to age, yeah, rather badly, you know. Whereas if you don't put much bells and whistles on it, it'll probably sound far more. Sensible. I mean, here's a question for you: Are there any Dylan albums you've never actually listened to the whole way through? <laughs> well, until recently, <laughs> I, I found it very difficult to listen to Empire Burlesque. I only, yes. I mean, when I first heard Empire Burlesque, I didn't finish it. And then even a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, oh, Empire Burlesque, I'll give it another shot. And I didn't finish it. And it's only, it may have been when Luke made me a kind of a slightly better version of Empire Burlesque. He often does that. It's <laughs> only slightly. Uh, yeah. and, and I listened to it all. I forced myself. I mean, there, there are some good things on that album. There's actually plenty of good things, but right. there's also some terrible things. And the production is awful. Because I don't think I've listened to Under the Red Sky since the week it was released. You're oh, not missing you see, much. I love it. I don't love it. But I think Under the Red Sky I really believe it's it's underrated. Right. I, I had no expectations when it came out. I kind of I was I go through phases where I sort of give up on yeah. Dylan, yeah, yeah. and I heard that it was terrible. Yeah. I heard it was awful, so I didn't get it. No. And then a couple of years later, I thought, ah, eh, what the hell? It's in the bargain bin. I'll I'll get it. And I listened to it, and I thought. I I think this there's a lot of good stuff on here. To wiggle wiggle, but, you know we've had many arguments. Wiggle, wiggle, I yeah. like wiggle yeah, wiggle. Okay. It's like a Chuck Berry song. Yeah. Come yeah, on, it's, it's, without the good lyrics. <laughs> no, the lyrics are terrible. But, so, but no come on, they're, they're so terrible them. that they're actually. I just almost think with Dylan, good. I think you know the man's known for his lyrics. If he can't even sort that out, what you know what I mean? It's like he is a lyricist. I know, but he was at that time. I think, and the cover I would I would nominate as one of the worst covers of any album. crouching down. Yeah. And in black and white, <laughs> he looks like he's taking about to take a dump in the, the middle the of the desert. The back cover's even worse. He looks just depressed, and he's sitting on the. On, he looks like he's been locked out of the, oh, of the flat, know. and he's sitting there in his hood. Going, maybe that's oh. after the record company heard it, <laughs> yes, and he's just taking a, <laughs> taking a photo of it. Well, the, the only way you can defend under the red sky is 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 once you learn that he. I think he'd, 
promised his daughter an album based on nursery rhymes. Oh, is that right? That's what people say. So there's two by two. There's, you know, wiggle, wiggle, cats in the well. Did he have to share it with us? Well, exactly. Guys, honestly, I haven't heard Knocked Out loaded since 1988 or something either. Again, I mean, the most most interesting thing about Knocked Out Loaded is it's a very, very accurate description of the state you should be in (laughs) to listen to it or record it. And down in the groove. Oh, yes. I mean, the cover is also... It's almost good, the cover, but it sort of shows you just how isolated he was. Like, he's just sitting there in, in the light, yeah. and, and you get the feeling everyone's crept out because they've listened to the songs on. It's got Rank Strangers yeah. to me on it, though, which is... Rank Strangers is good, and... That's really good. But, but the, 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 cover, the but. track, The Ugliest Girl in the World, Yeah, it, you know, it's a terrible title, and then it goes on to be an even worse song. <laughs> so, yes, he was in a so dark, dark you know, place. When you were asking about the difference between the fans, I think long-suffering is perhaps something that you have to... It sort of <laughs> you comes with be. the job title. You've got to be. You know, yeah. in some ways, yeah. but that sort of thing. Well, I suppose there aren't any howlingly embarrassing moments like that in Springsteen's career, either. There's that bit where he where he made Human Touch and Lucky Town, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and some of his fans sort of went... Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a few sort of overproduced moments yeah, you know, but nothing that sort of I don't think eye-wateringly, you know, beyond in that yeah. way. Uh, but then you could just argue, you know, that the peaks are, are greater than anybody else's as well with Dylan. You know, well, yeah, yeah. But you're, so you, you, there's something long-suffering is right because I think people. I mean, Peter Finchin was saying a past guest when he was listening, he used to buy Dylan albums in the '80s, and he just used to have to steal himself for how shit is this going to be? Yeah, you know, and that was that's a, a familiar mindset. And the other thing about Dylan, which I sort of really I kind of admire but slightly find maddening is, you know, considering he's 75, 76 or whatever, mm. we still don't really know him. That brings up something I've been meaning to ask you. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry no. to interrupt yeah. you. I think you're totally right. I was thinking about Bob and Bruce and, and particularly how much they go on about their fathers. Yeah. Uh, you know, in every, or rather, Bruce goes on about his yeah. father. And to me, the missing link between understanding Bob is what the hell was with him and his dad? Because I know that they fell out. Right. uh, But that's pretty much all I know. You you hear that he was a tough man. Right. He ran this, you know, hardware store in Hibbing. Yeah. But to me, that's the great unknown. And that's why I think there's a bit of me that feels like, you know, it's quite nice to have mystique. Maybe it might be nice to sort of give it up once you get to 76. Do you know what I mean? As in, mm. like, you see McCartney and, you know, you see how open he's been recently, you know, with yeah. the James Corden thing. And there's a bit of me that really admires this because, you mm. know, anything that allows us insight into genius is interesting, yeah. you know? And Springsteen has been incredibly open about the construction of who he is, etc. And with Dylan, you know, he gives very, very, very few interviews. And when he does, you know, mostly he just messes around and doesn't really want to talk about things or whatever mm. and you just I just wish that there would be some moment where he would just be a little bit more like you know take the pose down and just answer some questions and just mm. allow us in a little bit more um, he hasn't done that much of that I don't think has he no no not at all and to me but as you say that there's the mystique and in fact he's like he's kind of like the god of modern poetic poetic rock and roll or yeah. you know, he's Springsteen's god yeah. if god actually said, you know, I had this problem with my father and we could never communicate. That would not be there anymore. So frustrating as it is. Because Bob is sort of, this is another thing that I I was thinking about in in terms of listening to both of them. Fans, boy fans, I think, are all united by the need to find some sort of father, some other father. And, you know, Bruce is 
the approachable father, yeah. the, the warm, kind, caring father, mm, yeah. and Bob is the other father. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know what I'm saying by this, but we, you know, I, I, I'm attracted to Bob equally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- and why is that? Because... He never gives me anything. No. But he's still my dad in a way, in 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 that, you know, I follow him, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah. fan. Well, I think it's also interesting is that you know, this idea about with, with Springsteen and maybe with other people of that sort of thing, you know, you can sort of trace who they are and take the vanishing point back to childhood or the death of their mom or you know, there are certain things that they've talked about. And with Dylan, I think some of that is so foggy. Mm. You know, so what, you know, we know about his, you know, obsession with Woody Guthrie and we know about that. But like the the roots of who and why he decided to reinvent himself as who he became. For me, they're quite foggy. Well, he was making this up from the word go, wasn't he? He was. The minute he hit New York. Yeah, the the, the self-mythologizing. But what I'm saying is why you do that and what leads to it, what causes that. That's a good point. That kind of, you know, the the making of the artist. And for me... That still feels quite opaque, and he doesn't, you know, for him often interviews have been performance rather than anything else mm. in the early days, etc. And and I just feel like maybe that's one of the big things I feel a bit sad about. It would just be nice to have some emotional honesty from him occasionally. Well, I think it's all, the only thing we have to go on is God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Yeah. That's the only time Abraham Zimmerman is 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 mentioned, and he's, he's name-checked. Uh, you know, he's... It, it, I think that's very much his father as far yeah. as, uh, as well as Abraham. Me, but the other thing is, I don't know if you, you probably know this more than I do, but, you know, we I never, I don't have no idea of his existence off stage. Like, literally, he's. I guess he's on the road all the time. But we never see him photographed going to the exhibitions or no. in seeing, you know, like you'll see people like, oh, he was spotted at seeing another gig or something. It's almost like he literally exists only on stage and then I imagine he's got a hood and he gets shuffled off onto mm. some sort of bus. Mm. We literally never get a sense of him. Well, he that. was... You... Where did Springsteen write Born to Run? It was that yeah, no, yeah, town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He so was, he's been... He yeah, was yeah. lurking around Springsteen's old house. And but the very fact that that's the one story we remember from quite a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I totally... Um, I agree. I mean, who like, is, what is, who his is Bob Dylan? What's, you know, I'd love to have, you know, like, you know, that they have the, the magazine thing, like, you know, a day in the life, you know, wake yes. up, does he have green yes. fruit, Wouldn't that be porridge, great? you know, what, what's he doing? But it's, <laughs> you, know? It's, you know, he was there at the, at the absolute creation of this, of this rock star that people wanted to know about. I mean, Peter Yarrow said something interesting on television years ago. He said, it's true, people loved and adored Elvis Presley. They never wanted to know what his opinion was. Yeah. And along comes mm. Dylan, and everyone wants to know exactly what makes him tick. Yeah. And the minute he gets, you know, wind of this, he runs away from it as, as quickly as he possibly can, yeah. puts up as many smoke screens as he possibly can. Yeah. And I think probably will never, ever go there. I know. Actually, the best... And denies the fact that he was influential, or denies that he was political, yeah, etc. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best story that I ever read in a book about Bob Dylan, I hope I haven't told this on the podcast before, is by, uh, there's a book called, called Howling at the Moon by a guy called Walter Yetnikoff. Who oh, yeah, he's a record company boss. That's right, he yeah, ran yeah. CBS, I think, or Columbia, he, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, briefly at one point. Most of it is about his wild coke addictions and various other things. But he told one story about Bob Dylan Bob Dylan bringing his mother to a record launch, or rather Bob Dylan's mother was had come from Hibbing. You know, she didn't leave that often. And they were all sitting down. It was this big sit-down dinner, and Dylan was there. And that his mother reached over and cut Bob's steak for him. And this guy, Yetnikov, wrote in this book, what a pussy, I mean, what a wimp, he's let his mother cut his steak for him. But I thought, 
shut up. That's a that's a beautiful story that yeah. Bob let his, you know, as a grown-up person and Bob Dylan. Yeah. And I just thought that was kind of beautiful. I've always felt that he felt enormous love for his mother. Uh, and and to him, to she was, like, represented and The thing I always woman, think about with know? Dylan as well is, like, you know, you talk about Springsteen looking up to Dylan. And I've heard McCartney say that the only person he's in awe of is Dylan. Mm. And I think it must be quite, must be a weird feeling to think there is literally nobody better than you, you know? Like, yeah. it doesn't get any better. So it must, I wonder if it feels a sense of who are his peers, you know? If mm. McCartney says the only person whose talent I'm in awe mm. of is Bob Dylan... Mm. You know, well, even when he when he was in that uh, back of the um, the tax the limousine with John Lennon in Eat the Documents, yes, you know people Lennon was at the top of his game. It was around Rubber Soul time, I think, or or uh, Revolver time, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And uh, so, and but he was constantly trying to basically destroy Lennon. You know, you could see that he was trying to be funnier than Lennon, mm, yeah. and smarter than Lennon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Lennon was that was a very interesting encounter. But as you say. Who else? And Lennon, of course, has been gone for, for ages. Well, but I think, didn't he you know, have that line? Did he not say that line? You probably know the story. Was it to Keith Richards about the difference between him and the Stones? Was yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. You say it. Oh, well, we've, I've said it before. <laughs> oh, go ahead. So apologies to regular it's organic. <laughs> But, um, yeah, he said to Keith Richards, I could have written Satisfaction, but you never could have written Desolation Row. But He's absolutely right. But the truth is, that's what I'm saying, is there must be, maybe there's some sort of loneliness of knowing that there is Probably. no one. You know, I mean, I think, you know. I'm sure there is. You can see it in, in the interviews that he allows, you know, the on-screen interviews that he allows, uh, particularly in, in No Direction Home, you know. He, he looks like, um, maybe they filmed it to make yeah, him look lonely yeah. and isolated. Yeah, 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 but he, yeah. does, he looks like a man who's just exuding nobody understands me now yeah. or ever will yeah, and you're, yeah. he, was in, he was interviewed by his manager. I you know, know, so, I know. So like, even you. He doesn't feel comfortable in his skin. Well, also, a lot, a lot of people that he did look up to are, are gone. That's what I'm saying, It's Johnny yeah. Cash and yeah. Warren Zevon and whether it's, you know, A.P. Carter or Woody Guthrie. Yeah, but I mean, George Harrison. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you think, I, I, with someone like McCartney, yes, they're contemporaries. Yes, they're the same age, roughly. But it's funny, you know, I don't look at Dylan and McCartney as, as contemporaries. And, of course, they are. They are, yeah, yeah. But I, I look at Dylan and Johnny Cash as contemporaries, you know. Yeah. Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. But, but mm-hmm. I think the other thing mm-hmm. is the difference between people like McCartney and Springsteen is that they... They want to encourage younger artists mm. and they will go on stage and celebrate, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Arcade Fire mm-hmm. or, you know, yes. whatever. Mm-hmm. They will turn up and, and there will be a sense that they like the idea that the torch has been passed or, you know, they want to sort of give some of, something back. I've never seen Dylan do that. You know. No, wouldn't it be great to see Dylan do what Springsteen did, with, you know, just yell for a quest and teach his band You Never Can Tell or something like that. Can you imagine that? Too much monkey business, Bob. <laughs> uh, hasn't, he, hasn't he played the same set pretty much for the last couple of years now? Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit tempest heavy, and it's you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think he does like you know just just pulling the placards out. You know, no, let's give it a go. It's not request time like yeah. Jackson Brown. It's funny uh, if he's. I wonder if he's going to be like you know Woody Allen always said. Now Woody Allen pretty much I understand isn't making films anymore, but he always said that'll be okay when I yes you know, I'll just write uh, it'll be yeah my last film whenever it is yeah. that'll be fine I'll continue to write because I write every day and you know I've been lucky so far but I get the feeling with Bob that's you know he's just gonna they're gonna have to you know carry him out dead. which is fine but I think I would really like him to do a follow up to Chronicles. Well, well, apparently he has. Apparently it's all, it's all written, it's ready to go. It's been written for years, they, they, they say. That's the rumour. Yeah. yeah. It, you just have to put it out. stupendous piece of writing. I know. It was you know. wonderful. I know. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I think maybe if he could just focus a little bit, you know. But do you remember um, years ago, uh, Olivier wrote this book 
Uh, I think it, he wrote a number of them, and I got them all. This is um, Danny Olivier. No, it? this was Laddie, dear, dear Laddie. <laughs> and, um, and he wrote this book, one of his books. But in it, he said, uh, well, they basically they gave him, uh, Gilgood gave him, um, I think it was Keane's sword that he right. used in Richard III. And it was a thing that the leading actors would pass on to the, each other. Uh, uh, Gilgood had had it for like only 10 years or something. But when he saw... Olivier's, uh, I think it was Richard III, he gave him the hallowed sword. And Olivier never gave it to anybody else. He <laughs> never passed it on. And he also wrote in this book, he said, if you want that sword, you're going to have to pry it out of my dead hands. Oh, Sounds like and, a Charlton Heston. Yeah, I know, really. But, it, but it, it reminds me in a way of, Bob, of what we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah. Bob, you know, r- regardless of when he, he says, I'm not this and I'm not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But he is. But. Having said all that, I just think to myself, can you imagine how poorer one's life would be if one didn't have an appreciation of Dylan's music? You know, I do occasionally I run into people who, who immediately stop being friends, but who say that they, uh, <laughs> they just don't get Dylan or, you know, they never really got into him or they only got into him late. And I was thinking, the amount of pleasure you've missed. Yeah. You, know, mm. to, you know, I was lucky that I got him into it as a teenager to think, my God, can you imagine? For all those, you know, flaws and complexities... I mean, the amount of pleasure and happiness and intellectual nutrition he's given, ultimately, you know, it's, it's, your, it's, it's your loss. And in a way, um, for me, it's like the exciting thing. I don't, not so much with friends, but with, like, with my kids, I've got a um, seven-year-old and a two-year-old, and the idea that this stuff will be introduced to them, and it will be introduced to them, <laughs> um, you know, that's, it, that, it feels like, wow, what a gift to be able to give somebody. Mm. You know? Thanks, Seth. I think we've got to wrap it up. Good to meet you. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan is recorded in the God Suite at Lip Sync Studios. Engineered by Mark Langley-Smith and produced by Robin Guise. We're on Twitter at Is It Rolling Pod. Music is by Sam Hare. Achilles is in your alleyway. He don't want me here. He does brag. He's pointing to the sky and he's hungry like a man in drag. How come you get someone like him to be your guard? You know, I want you loving, honey, but you're so hard.